Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. In our rare gospel story this morning, we get a glimpse of what has been called the hidden life of Jesus. The hidden life of Jesus refers to uh, his life before his public ministry. And we have lots of stories in the apocryphal gospels, you know, the gospel of Thomas and Peter, these ones that aren't a part of our canon. We get all kinds of fanciful legends about him, you know, growing boards for Joseph because he didn't measure twice, cut once, that sort of thing, um, from Jesus' youth. Uh, but in our canonical scriptures, uh, we really don't have many stories. This is it, you know, his, his, his nativity narrative, and this as a 12-year-old boy. There are many themes that we could tease out of this passage and this story. There's a high Christology here uh, presented, that Jesus knew who he was. He knew that God was his father and that he was the eternal son from the beginning. Uh, St. Luke is making a point that he was not adopted as divine at his baptism, that his eternal divinity predates that and for all eternity. That Jesus is the wisdom of God, as is reflected in Proverbs and Sirach. Even in Sirach, we read about the wisdom of God in the midst of the temple the personification of wisdom. So we've got that theme going on here, him teaching the teachers of the law. There is an emphasis on his humanity as he grows and develops as a human being in wisdom and stature, even in obedience to his parents. He was obedient to his parents. All of these themes are richly present. But this being the feast of holy family today, and especially in the light of us having just added a new member to our family, I'm going to focus my comments on the theme of family. None of us came into existence as independent units. You know, we didn't just pop up out of the ground. Um, other than the first man, I guess. He sort of popped up out of the ground in a way. But even his woman came from his side. And from then on, every human being who was born and came into existence, came into existence from another human being. From the union of two human beings, in fact. We all exist in the context of family. It is someone else, other than ourselves, and our relationship to them, which in large part defines who and what we are. I would also point out that you did not choose to be born, and you did not choose who your family was. The human family might be thought of as, in some ways, analogous to the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God. Three persons in a perfect and eternal relation to one another. And if we think about it, it is the relationship between them that actually defines for us their distinction. What makes the Father the Father is the Son. 
It's a relational term. What makes the Son the Son is the Father. Even the name, the proper name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a relational revelation. This is who He is. He is Father because He has a Son. Humanity, likewise, exists in relations to one another. This is the reality of our being. And it, in some analogous way, reflects God Himself. Everything in existence reflects God Himself in some way. But in this one, the mirror is polished very brightly. I like to point out every year on this feast, which has become a favorite of mine, even though it was very lately added, added to the liturgical calendar. But every year on this feast, I like to point out how a very a significant contingency of Jesus' band of followers were his actual relatives, part of his family clan. James and John, for example, were Jesus' nephew. Their mother, Salome, was the daughter of Joseph by a previous uh, marriage. Cleopas was Joseph's brother. So Cleopas and his wife were Jesus' uh, aunt and uncle. Cleopas and Mary, they had children. And one of those was James the Less, who we know of, one of the twelve apostles. He was a cousin to Jesus. He also had other stepbrothers and sisters besides Salome. We know by name James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and there were at least two or three other stepsisters that we don't know their names, but we know that they existed. Then they got married. All of them had children and families. This was extending into a fairly large uh, clan. And then there's the obvious, Elizabeth, Mary's aunt, and her husband, Zechariah, and then John the Baptist. The greatest born among women is Jesus' cousin. Jesus' cousin. These are just a few of the relatives of Jesus that we know about. There are many examples in the Gospel that show how the Logos, the eternal word, John begins with the pre-incarnate eternal word of God, the eternal Son, how He comes down into our world, He crosses over into our world, and joins Himself to this human family. And not just, you know, the human race. He joins himself to a very specific family. A specific people, a nation, and a very specific place at a specific time. And this fact is emphasized for us in the Gospels that Jesus has redeemed and sanctified and consecrated the family to God. Redeemed it because we know it's been all messed up ever since the fratricide of uh, Cain against his brother Abel and the sin of our first parents. He has redeemed and consecrated the family of, as an instrument of holiness and salvation. Now with that in mind, of that we can be, have no doubt. But there are some contradictory uh, statements that Jesus makes himself to the holiness of the family. Why did, if that's true, why did Jesus say, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother? And in another place he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Another point, Jesus is there teaching his disciples and there is a knock at the door. I said, yes. And somebody comes and says, uh, your mother and your brothers 
are outside wanting to see you. And um, he says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And then he points to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. And in another place he says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Again, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Consider our gospel lesson as well this morning and the message that is being sent to us. Jesus is there traveling with his family, his big, grand, extended family clan. I mean, it was so big, they didn't know he was not with them. It was big. You know, they thought he was hanging out with his cousins or whatever uh, in, in, in the caravan on their way back home, about 80 miles, three, four days journey from Jerusalem. So they left, and they, they traveled a whole day and didn't realize he was, he was gone. They realized he was gone, probably traveled a day back, and then they spent the day in Jerusalem looking for them. That's the three days, more than likely. At any rate, he's there in his big extended family going up to Jerusalem. So the context of the whole story is Jesus in the midst of his family, but he becomes separated from his family. And as we know, the real point is, is that they are separated from him, not he from them. That's the punchline of the sermon today. When his parents find him after the three days, they find him where? In the temple, in his father's house. In his father's house. And they chide him, actually, they do. They chide him a bit. And he rebuffs his mother. He does. It's a slight, small rebuff. It's, by the way, and they didn't understand. This is mitigated by Luke by saying she treasured all these things in her heart. So Luke's trying to get a theological message across. He doesn't want you to be too hard on the Blessed Virgin. So he, he sort of backs up and says she treasures all these things in her heart. But still, there's still a point he's trying to make. They chide Jesus, and Jesus rebuffs back. And what does he say? He says, you don't understand. I need to be about my father's business. Well, these are his parents, as Luke calls them. Bold thing for Luke to do, by the way, with Joseph and all the heresies floating around concerning Jesus' birth. But he still calls them parents. And he refers to Joseph as his father earlier in this chapter. He's about his father's business. And he makes that clear to his parents. I'm about my father's business here. Real quick, just as an aside, remember the wedding at Cana? The scene is very similar. It's a family scene. He's had a wedding with his mom and his, his relatives. And this is a part of their sort of family, extended family uh, clan and acquaintances and, and friends. By the way, this could be another one of the sort of hidden stories of before his public ministry. John sort of plays fast and loose with the order of things sometimes in his gospel. But the structure of this story fits perfectly the hidden stories of Jesus' life before his public ministry. Even the nature of the miracle. I mean, he made 150 gallons of wine um, that, that day. So it's pretty spectacular. He's there with his family. And anyway, it fits very well. But be that as it may, 
His mother comes and asks him to do the miracle, and at first he sort of gives her a slight rebuff and says, no, according to my father's schedule. He, he of course, goes ahead and does the miracle. Um, but the point is, is he makes it very clear that he will do what he's going to do according to his father's schedule. So as important as the human family is, as a mirror, even an instrument of the Spirit to bring divine life into our world, we must understand that it is a mirror of the reality. It is not the reality. The beautiful mystery of marriage, for example, the union of husband and wife. What does St. Paul say? This is a reflection of something greater. It's not that marriage in and of itself isn't something great and beautiful, a sacrament of God's presence, but only in as much as it reflects something greater. And that is Christ and his church. A marriage will only be truly beautiful and only manifest its real purpose if the husband and the wife are living out their marriage in and through the church. And the same is true for family. Family becomes a true reflection of the divine society of God himself only in as much as family flourishes in the church. Otherwise, as we all know, family can become a stumbling block to salvation. Jesus makes it explicitly clear in today's story where he's in the temple and at the wedding of Cana that as much as he loves his mother, she has no rights over him that are at odds with his heavenly father. This is clear. It's a matter of perspective and priority and what comes first. Family is a sacramental union of divine life, in fact, but only in as much as it is subservient and is lived out within the church, the family of God in the spirit. Jesus came. He came to us and he came to Mary's clan and Joseph's clan. He chose her to be his mother. He came into our human family. But he didn't come so that he could just hang out with us as a human. <laughs> no. He came into our human family so that he might bring us into the temple of God, where we would be made partakers of the divine glory. That's why he came. The people there, his mother and father, foster father, thought that Jesus was lost because he was not with them. He was not with his family. But as I point out every year on this feast, it was they who were lost because they were not with Jesus in the temple. He didn't come just to be with us. He came to take us to where he is. And he is in the temple. He didn't come just to make our life manageable, easier, pleasant, he came to transform us, to make us new creatures by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the only place to realize this recreation is in the temple of God, the house of God, the dwelling place of the Spirit. So if we are searching for Jesus, we know where to find him. He made it clear in today's story. As a 12-year-old boy, he made it clear. We'll find him in the temple. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. 
This has been a production of the Orthodox West.